0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Wire Stripped. I'm Kobe And I'm Dave. And this year is the 15th anniversary of one of the greatest shows of all time, HBO's The Wire.
1: Yep, and we are celebrating by heading back to the pits and re-watching every episode and we will be giving you detailed breakdown and insights for the whole of the first series.
0: Throughout the series, we'll be talking to famous fans of The Wire, like Huey Morgan, Scroobius Pip, and Chris Hewitt from Empire Magazine.
1: And we'll also be chatting with the cast, including Frankie Faison, who played Deputy Commissioner Burrell.
2: He's a character who's just trying to survive. He's trying to do a good job. And Lance Reddick, who played Lieutenant Daniels.
3: Quite frankly, the pilot was so, there were so many characters that I didn't even know who I wanted to be. It wasn't like, I've got to play that character. I just, it was just, I had to be on the show.
4: And of course, the one, the only, The Bunk. Me and Dom, we have a scene, scene air, and all I'm going to do... He said, oh God, it's awful, you're awful. I said, well, I have to listen to that fake-ass Baltimore accent. You,
0: I'm so shit.
4: You got to deal with me.
0: And we also want to hear from you guys as you re-watch it with us. Is this your first run through or are you diving back into the game? So please do get in touch. We're on Facebook and Twitter at the Wirestripped, or you can email us at burner at TheWireStripped.com.
1: Or you can leave us a message on our burner phone. Yes, we have a burner phone, and it's untraceable. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for those details.
0: So, yeah, on the first episode. Here's our chat between myself and Dave about Season 1, Episode 1, The Target.
1: Okay, so we um, we had an idea to to record our first episode chat on the, uh, on the hard streets of London. Uh, we wanted to sort of capture that, that sort of gritty Baltimore feeling that you kind of get from the low rises and that uh but we've ended up in a very nice park uh, <laughs> <laughs> surrounded by ducks and a waterfall. I think it <laughs> does I
0: think it does emulate though the the pits. Uh we just need to find <laughs> yeah a yellow uh, sorry an orange we need to find an orange sofa that we can sit in and eat chicken nuggets.
1: Yeah, we should have brought one along. Uh yeah, this is pretty much the complete antithesis <laughs> of the pits. This is <laughs> this is quite idyllic. Um but you know, uh, what better what better place to talk Whoa. about the um Episode 1 of The
0: Wire. Yeah, let's do this. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I
1: beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow
5: track.
2: When you walk
5: with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. Just gotta keep the devil way
0: down in the
2: hole So for
0: we're talking about the wire which is perhaps which is my favorite TV show what about yourself Dave
1: I mean I think I think it's it's up there my god like just rewatching this uh last <laughs> night I forgot how good it was
0: it's, It was an absolute pleasure from yeah. start to finish watching it again
1: I was like to be honest it's been 10 years it's, yeah. it's, it's 15 years since it was on air it's 10 years since I saw it but I binged through the whole thing that that ten years ago, uh, like a lot of people did, and just chewed it up. Um, and it's always been in my mind as yeah, that was an amazing TV show, and I've always recommended it, but I've never had a desire to go back. I'm not really much of a rewatcher, sure, to be honest. Um, and part of me was like, when you when you suggested doing this, I was like, oh, I have to go through f- all those episodes <laughs> again, all that time, uh, and then like half an hour into this episode, I was just like. I want all of it now. I just want to... I'm obsessed again. I'm into this. I
0: need to understand. I need to have everything
2: in my brain straight away. Yeah. It's so, so good. I miss so much stuff. Being a part of the show. Reading the scripts. Then when I go... I've seen it three times. And each time I learn something new and see something new and different.
1: This is us chatting to Frankie Faison who played Deputy Commissioner Burrell.
2: So kudos to the writers because... They are the ones who held the key to that. We never knew. You know, you get a character, they say they may say to you, well, your character may survive this season, right. or he may not. But if they give you too much information, then you're going to be playing the end result rather than playing the moment-to-moment, which is what they need you to be engaged in. One
4: of, the, one of the things I still to this day have a bone to pick with David... David never likes to share anything with the actors ahead of time.
1: You're now hearing from Wendell Pierce, who plays The Bunk.
4: Also, David never lets actors see playback because he feels it's going to make you too self-conscious. He feels as though if you knew something ahead of time, you would play to it. You know, all of a sudden it's episode one, but you know, in episode three or four, you're going to break the case because of a fountain pen. You know, so you may find the fountain pen in the first episode. If you know about what's coming, he believes actors will go, oh, look, I just found a fountain
0: pen. <laughs> That's how it was written. The setup for the TV show was not to be, it was to be a completely different type of TV show because the kind of episodes and TV shows that happened before tended to be very kind of procedural. Even shows like, that were existed on HBO beforehand, um, like Sopranos, you could watch each episode just, just singularly. So me and my friends would often get around and watch an episode or two of The Sopranos, and that would be enough. But, some police helicopters there. Um, but <laughs> 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 finally, finally it's fitting in with our subject matter. But you couldn't, you can't just one, watch one episode of The Y, you have to go. There you go.
1: That's that's the kind of background we wanted. That's what we wanted, the streets, the noise of the streets. The hard-hitting streets of London. Um, but you're right it's that it's um it's it's often compared to a novel isn't it yes exactly it's got it's 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 one massive book um and the chapters all tie into each other there's no i think it's very it'd be very difficult to just sit down and say oh let's watch season three episode six
0: it'd be ridiculous no <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all or nothing with yeah. this show and
1: you just have to let it wash over you bit by bit i think so
0: And this, um, so David Simon created this before this TV show he wrote and helped write on uh, Homicide, A Life in the Streets. Yeah. Which was very much a procedural episode by episode in the standard way that network television is done in America. Uh, Before that, he wrote Homicide, A Year in the Killing Streets, a massive book. Have you read that? I've read it, yeah, a long time ago, though. And it's very dense and you can see exactly exactly where the parallels lie between the book um david Simon's real life experiences in the police in the homicide department and what leads into the wire and you can see exactly why he wanted the wire the tv show to be the way it is because it had to be really to tell the stories that he wanted to in the way that he, that he wanted to do it so and you can see a lot of um
1: his experiences in yeah. this i think a lot of the real life anecdotes he he picked up from from uh going around with the the, the cops and just being a journalist in baltimore uh are are pulled in. I think the in this episode, um, there's the uh, the mouse uh, Bunk shooting the mouse. Yeah. So yeah, there's um there's a moment uh there's a there's a great scene in in the first episode uh, where Bunks telling uh, McNulty about uh, a mouse that that his that his wife found and he shoots the mouse uh, and it's obviously told a lot a lot better than I just told <laughs> it. Um, but that's a direct. Anecdote that uh, David Simon picked up from Absolutely. the police officer from that book.
0: There's a lot of real characters based on real people in the show. Yeah. There's a lot of names that are used um, of real police and real people. And there's actually, uh, when they come later on in the series, uh, a lot of the actors are people from Baltimore, real life people from Baltimore, and assuming different roles. So the Avon character characters based on real person. Who's uh,
1: in this. Uh Show as well. he's the he, comes in, he comes in. He comes into
0: series, in season three. Yeah. You see him. Uh, Plays is a guy called the Deacon. Um, Mcnulty is based on a character on a real life policeman. Um, he's based on Ed Burns, who is he's, he's the co-creator of The Wire. Yeah. Uh, with with David Simon. So there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of anecdotal stories that run parallel to to The Wire.
5: So your boy's name is what? It's not call the guy Snot? Snot Boogie. Yeah. Snot Boogie. You like the name? What? Snot Boogie. This kid whose mama went into the trouble of christen him Omar Isaiah Betts? You know, he forgets his jacket. So his nose starts running, and some asshole, instead of giving him a Kleenex, he calls him Snot. So he's not forever. Doesn't seem fair. Life just be that way, I guess. So, who shot snot? I ain't going to no court.
6: In general, looking at season one, what's most fascinating to me about season one, uh, my name's Andrew Johnstone. I'm a fan of most of The Wire, and I am from the great state of Maryland. First of all, the experimentation from a narrative telling side season one has a few weird bits and bobs that pop up that you don't see in other seasons it starts off with a completely unrelated one-off prologue the snot boogie uh conversation with mcnutty i always call him mcnutty by the way because when bubbles first said mcnutty i had to pause because i lost it (laughs) i couldn't believe he said mcnutty and it will always be mcnutty to me but um it starts off with that and is just this strange one-off story which comes from Homicide, is in the, is in the book uh, as, as one of the cases.
7: I think the thing that hooked me straight away was just how well-written it is and that's, that's still what strikes me when I watch it now. Hey, I'm Gabriella. I am a podcast producer at The Guardian and I'm a really big fan of The Wire. It's just crazily well-written. Like The way they, they develop the characters, the way they introduce the characters straight off in episode one, is like amazing like from the very first scene you know everything about mcnulty like he's sitting on the stoop like looking over this dead dead body of a guy and he's kind of like not the most likable guy but you get this idea straight away that he's a really good detective because he's sitting with this guy um with the witness talking to him about um about the guy and wanted to know stuff and the guy doesn't want to tell him anything, but you know, he kind of makes it, he puts him really at ease and finds out that the, the dead guy's called snot boogie. And, and just like, and actually that piece of dialogue is like one of the very first indications that of, of the amazing dialogue that there is in the wire, like these ridiculous conversations that people end up having, end up having. Um, and just like that really awesome, sorry, that really funny bit where he just says to the guy, so if snot boogie keeps turning up and stealing the money every time you guys play craps like why do you keep letting him play and the guy turns around to him and he's like this is america <laughs> and they cut into the intro scene for the first time and i was like "Ooh, i like it
5: <laughs> i'm saying and every friday night we're in the alley behind the cut rate we rolling bones you know i mean all the boys from around the way and we roll to late alley crap game right like every time he snot it fade a few shooters play it out to the pot's deep, snatch and run. What, every time? Couldn't help himself. Let me understand you. Every Friday night, you and your boys would shoot crap, right? And every Friday night, your pal's snot boogie. He'd wait till there was cash on the ground, then you would grab the money and run away. You let him do that? Man, we'd catch him and be his ass, but ain't nobody never go past that. I gotta ask you. If every time Snotboogie would grab the money and run away, why'd you even let him in the game? What? Snotboogie always stole the money. Why'd you let him play? Got this America man.
1: That's what's so good about this show, it sort of flattens the human experience. It shows you both sides, um, of society it gives you um it's like a full 360 because we also see the we see the police we see the drug dealers and we see the drug takers yeah um so you see every side of that equation and at the end of the day as you said people are just people some people are shitty some people um some people are good people um but at the end of the day the game's the game you <laughs> know
2: there are there are good guys and bad guys on both sides um, there are, and in the wire it's pretty evident because you find yourself cheering for the good bad guys <laughs> and the bad, good guys, if it makes any sense to you i I love the way the whole series evolved in that way because you see law enforcement officers who you thought were were bad guys being very sympathetic towards the kids especially, and even you know you you see um you see them being sympathetic to homeless during the last the last season when you're dealing with the newspaper stuff you see them be you see them trying to do good police work but being caught up in the bureaucratic crap that you have to be caught up in as far as getting numbers and stats and all that stuff so you see that and then you also see the bad guys who are you know like Omar who's like um He's a good bad guy, you know. He's really trying to, you know. He has a he has a sense of honor about him, and even in you know even in the earlier 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 seasons, when you see um, bad guys die who are trying to maybe change or trying to realize that the street life cannot go on forever.
1: So um there's sort of three there's three main story well there's two main storylines in this episode and yeah. it's sort of introducing uh, I would say it's McNulty is sort of leading the first storyline and you've got D'Angelo leading the second storyline and that sort of sets the stage for for the whole series really Absolutely yeah So we we kind of kick things off with McNulty so he's he's in the he's in the courtroom he's uh, it's D'Angelo is up for a um um a murder case. Yep. Um, and we won't go to into too much detail, but he essentially gets off. We we meet Stringer Bell in the back of the courtroom. Um, Mcnulty sitting in the back. There's a great little moment where uh, uh, String shows him a little drawing saying uh, "Fuck you, detective." Fuck you, detective. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the long and short of it is the uh, the witness um, the witness falls through because clearly String and Stringer and Avon have a have paid them off and d'angelo Absolutely. gets off so this pisses off mcnulty massively um and so he goes to his his friend the judge explains the whole situation uh this barksdale crew he's on nobody's radar etc etc and that sets off a series a chain of events really that that causes uh everyone to hate mcnulty uh because their lives <laughs> <laughs> their, the, the status quo has been upset um and the, the team has to be formed, because basically because somebody in a position of power has decided to do something.
0: And it's really cool here that McNulty is he's kind of unwittingly set off this chain of events, hasn't he? Because he doesn't, yeah. doesn't realise what's happening. And well, what he does not he doesn't. He does not he doesn't. And, yeah, that line, what the fuck did I do, comes in time and time again. <laughs> it's a catchphrase, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> and it's um, here he's just talking to Phelan, the, the judge, and let slip of this guy called Avon Barksdale which no one seems to know in the in the police outside of McNulty and maybe Bunk yeah. his, his best friend
1: yeah they don't even have a picture of him no, nobody knows anything about that's what I think is so fascinating that um, that's how good Barksdale and Stringer Bell have got at this that yes. they've managed to create this sort of uh, criminal empire that the police aren't even really aware of and if it wasn't for this one homicide detective who really this just got on his attention because of a previous murder rep that they that they'd that they'd beaten and he'd seen it he sees it happening again with D'Angelo and he gets slightly pissed off and that and that's that's how it happens and then the sort of so from there we sort of get uh we see into the world of Barksdale and his crew through the eyes of D'Angelo yeah who's sort of he's a he's the audience surrogate here he's sort of the eyes and ears and um, so what happens is we see uh, we see D'Angelo he comes comes out of the trial he's getting he gets driven back to his uncle Barksdale's strip joint the Orlando Club which is a real shithole a horrible I think horrible it's place just horrible um, the uh, by wee yep um, who kind of become he plays a bigger role down the line, yeah. um, but very s- sort of small fry at this stage. Uh, he gives out to him for um, for talking in the car. Yeah, this and that shows how professional they are. Absolutely,
0: you know? yeah. We'll, uh, g- we'll talk about that kind of setup in a bit. I think.
1: Um, and then he goes into the club. He sort of gets a gets a telling off from his uncle. I think D'Angelo comes across as very cocky in this in, in this, this first, first episode. episode. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, Which uh, uh,
0: it kind of changes throughout the rest of the season. I think.
1: Yeah, he becomes more humanized as he he goes. Um, But in terms of the plot, the main thing that happens is D'Angelo gets demoted, essentially. Mm -hmm. He goes from uh, running the towers to running the low-rises. He meets his crew, which includes uh, Bodie and Wallace. And then um, finally, D'Angelo's plot ends in this episode when he sees the witness from his trial who didn't roll over and uh, testified against him. He sees that he has been murdered and he's lying in the streets. Gant. Gant, yeah. And then the third storyline, I would say, is uh, it's Bubbles. Yeah. It's, uh, it's street level. Uh, so Bubbles is a, is a junkie. We meet him and uh, his uh, his white friend, Johnny Weeks. Johnny Weeks. Um, and they're running a, a counterfeit money scam. Uh, so it's just very poor-looking money, I would say. <laughs> uh, like they
0: the literally photocopies some money and don't even, <laughs> don't even take the time to cut it out properly, just use a, no. like a pen knife. It's to not even cut green. Out, no, it's <laughs> the worst thing ever. <laughs>
1: um, but speaking of green, that's how Bubbles describes Johnny Weeks. So Johnny's sort of new to the streets. Yeah. Bubbles uh, wants to make him brown, yep. so to speak. Uh, um, so he's sort of, he, Bubbles is this mentor figure to, to Johnny, who tries to do the scam himself, uh, gets caught um, by D'Angelo and Bodhi, Bodhi spots him, and then they they horribly beat the shit out of him, and that's what um, pushes uh, bubbles over the edge to uh, help Kima, um, who he has a relationship with, mm. to be an informant. And again, this this is really just setting setting up all the pieces. Absolutely, for this whole season, and that's yeah, that's that's everything that happens.
0: So well, there's a few things I want to discuss here. So those three lines we talked about. You talked about Manolty. He's our way into the cop side, really. Gianzo's our way into the streets level in the, on the dealer's side. And Bubbles is our way into the street levels on the, on the kind of victim um, druggy side, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, should we talk about each, each side of things? At the start with, I mean, who are the cops, really? Because the first time I watched this, I didn't really understand the setup between homicide and, narcot- and the narcotics and how it kind of the whole hierarchy worked.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of... This show is just has so much admin and uh, <laughs> I, I work, I've i worked in offices my entire life so I've, I recognize a lot of the, the, the red tape and the bureaucracy that comes with these things and I find all that stuff fascinating. Just the politics of, of, um, in particular, Rawls. Yeah. Uh, so Rawls is um, McNulty's uh, major. Yep. He's the major of homicide. Uh, wants nothing to do with, with any of this. He just wants to keep... The numbers down, mm-hmm. um, so McNulty is, and him are pretty much enemies. And actually, don't, I forget that actor's name, but uh, the two of them, little side side point, uh, later meet in the affair again. Okay, also playing mortal enemies. So, <laughs> I bet and they are so good together, these two.
0: And then we have so on the on the cop sides we have Bunk, who's uh, McNulty's partner. Yeah, I love Bunk fantastic guy. So likeable, <laughs> he's so likable, isn't he? Such, he's such a, such a dude. Yeah. And those two guys, whenever I see them in the bar together, you just have a massive smile on your face. <laughs> yeah. And Bunk always has always has a cigar in his mouth or close by. Bunk is just cool. He's he? cool as fuck, yeah.
4: yeah. Well, it was a simple audition where I uh, was called in.
0: This is Wendell Pierce telling us about his
4: audition for The Wire. I knew Alexa Fogel for years. And so she uh, and I um, had a rapport. She was the casting director, uh, a very phenomenal casting director. Um, and I remember it was around the time of 9-11. went in, there were several people reading. Um, and uh, this one day, a business partner of mine and his wife was graduating from Business school. And I got in a cab to go downtown for a screening of something, and the cab driver didn't want to take me. Long story short, we got into a fight, literally, in Times Square. And then some guy on the sidelines said, I started it. And so, you know, the police clipped me up and took me to uh, jail. (laughs) I was like, I can't believe it. This cab driver didn't want to take me. He takes a shot at me. I defend myself. And then all of a sudden, they're taking me to jail. And it ticked me off. The reason I tell that story is I went in. And out of the audition window, you can still see the smoke coming from the World Trade Center. And I, and I said, in the midst of all of this, this fucking cab driver takes a swing at me. And I'm trying to, you know, just get to this screening. And I can't believe this shit is happening to me. And I was recounting this story. And then I get clipped. And I go to jail and now, you know, it's the sort of shit that cops need to really take into account when someone else says, hey, I want to bring him to jail too. I couldn't believe that shit. I got too much going on for all of this. All right, let's read the fucking scene. (laughs) You know, Months later, David told me, you know, you came, remember your audition? You came in and you were bitching and complaining about being arrested, having a fight with a cab driver and how the cops messed over you and... He said, that's when you you got the role. I was like, that's Buck, right? And that's what the, the narcotics. Uh, Jay Lanzerman
0: is their sergeant. Yeah. They're the kind of four mainstays of that, of that kind of department. You also have Sant'Angelo who, who joins the detail. And um, a minor kind of detective who doesn't feature much is um, detective, detective Cole. Um, who was actually played by Robert Coldsbury, who's one of the executive, executive producers of the show? Oh Australia. right, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So he gets like a couple of lines in this episode, and he gets a few more lines throughout the season. But I think it's worth pointing him out at this point as his uh, as his first appearance.
1: Type quieter. That's his.
2: Yeah, that's type his quieter. Big line. Yeah, <laughs> and then he <laughs> the walks typing off. Typing down.
0: <laughs> and then yeah, so the cops are, and then on the other side you have the narcotic side where you have Keema Gregs, yeah. um, who's the kind of lead detective. And then you also have uh, Herc, and Colbert, Herc and Carver.
1: Yeah, they're almost like the um, the, the comedy the, release. Yeah, the, they? the comic, they, They're the R two D two and C three PO of the wire of the world. wire. <laughs>
7: yeah, I don't know. Like Herc and Carver are just like straight away you know they're these lovable buffoon idiots. Like when they make that first bust on the on a dealer, and they're just like so smug because they found one gun and they got a gun on the floor and they're just like being proper like macho policemen. And then Kima comes over and immediately finds another gun. She's like, two guns, you idiots. Like, <laughs> they're just like only just competent at their jobs. And she's just like so much better than everyone. And it's that, that running thing that keeps going throughout the season of of like, why do we take orders from Kima? She's like the same level as us, but it's just like, they, they're they just so rubbish.
0: <laughs> right off the bat, you see how Kima Greggs is the one who's on it completely. She yeah. knows what's going on. And it's great to have a strong female character in that, who lays the foundation straight away that she's not taking in shit and she knows how to play the game, I guess, from the cop side straight away. Yeah. Um, and then also they're kind of led by Lieutenant Daniels, who is one of my favorite people ever,
3: I think. Quite frankly, the pilot was so, there were so many characters that I didn't even know who I wanted to be. It wasn't like I've got to play that character. I just, it was just, I had to be on the show. Hi, my name is Lance Reddick and you're listening to The Wire Stripped. I originally went in for bunk. I auditioned for bunk three times. And in my third audition, David Simon and Ed Burns, the creator, were in the room, is with along with Clark Johnson, the director. I did the audition. David on the spot asked me to read bubbles. <laughs> so I, you know, I went out, I looked at the size, I came back, and I read bubbles. Clark gave me some direction, I read bubbles. You know, I found out that I didn't get the, I didn't get bubbles, that I was second choice to some guy who it turns out was Andre Royal. <laughs> and the truth is they didn't want to see me for Daniels. So they kept looking for names for Daniels, and then they uh, eventually I went into audition for Daniels. So this is now my fourth audition, and I just went on tape. I did the two scenes that I had, and then um, Alexa Fogel, the casting director, said to me, "So, um, okay, let's do the this do the third scene, the monologue." I said, w- "What monologue?" She said, there, there should have been three scenes. I said, I only got two scenes. Oh, she said, oh, so here. So she hands me this page-long monologue. She said, Well, just go out and look at it and then come back and do it. I was like, oh man, you've got to be kidding me. So, but sometimes, you know, when you when you throw when you're kind of thrown into something like that, like being thrown into cold water, you just you just swim and don't think about it. <laughs> and that's what I did. So I went in, I just did the monologue and I left. And I just figured, Screw, you know, whatever. Um, and then I forgot about it. I checked in with my agent about a week and a half later. He said I didn't get it; they were still looking for names, and so I let it go. And two weeks later, I was working on—I um, was doing a guest spot on uh, 100 Center Street, which was uh, one of A&E's first television series. It was—I think it's was the only—it ser- was—it uh, was a television series that, that was uh, created by Sydney uh, Lumet, and actually, he was directing that that episode. So, yeah, so I had the incredible fortune to to work with Sidney Lumet before he passed away. So you know, I'm at lunch, and I remember I I remember I was talking to this guy at lunch, and he said, you know, because I had some some notoriety from from Oz, and he said, oh man, women talk about how fine you are, and you know, you go, you know, you better, you better, you know, I was, I was, uh, my wife and I had been separated, and we we weren't divorced yet. He said, man, you better, you better have your stuff, you better have your stuff, because you go pop, you're gonna hit, and I said, yeah, whatever. And I swear that day. This is how long ago this was. Uh, my beeper went off. I still, we still have beepers. <laughs> this is before cell phones. So I ran to a pay phone and called my agent real quick and asked, you know, so I could, you know. And uh, he said, uh, uh, Lance, uh, The Wire. I said, yeah, what about it? He said, you got it. I said, what? <laughs> he said, uh, you got it. I said, well, which role? <laughs> uh, he said, Daniels. I said, "You're kidding." He's no, and that's the. I mean, that was one of those moments where I wondered if I was dreaming. It's the only time I
1: really didn't wasn't sure if it was real.
0: What do you? What kind of do you understand at this point is going on in in the Y generally?
1: I remember the first time watching this, um, finding it a little hard to follow yeah. in this episode. I think it it takes a it takes a couple of episodes to sort of get to grips with it all and to figure out who all the players are. I think the. Uh, yeah, the 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 hierarchy of the police is a little confusing at this Definitely. stage. Definitely. Yep. Um, uh, and same same on the um, with the drug dealers. The uh, the like like you we, you were you were mentioning before before we um, started chatting about not knowing who Barksdale no. was really at this stage, uh, and he's not really a big feature.
0: Not at the moment. No. No. He's is the name. He's, he's kind of the boogeyman, as it were, Evan Barksdale. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really interesting to see that they've only been, them and Stringer Bell and that whole Barstow crew have only really been running for about a year, as McNulty says it. When I, when I first remember watching it, I just thought they'd been established for years and this was the, the status quo, but they've, they've come on board and taken over everything in a year and they're super, super careful about how they do things. Yeah. And when you're talking about when WeeBay was driving Bart, uh, D'Angelo, and they have, they have lots of rules because they had to pull across to the side because D'Angelo was trying to talk about what was happening. And we they pulled him over to the side, took him out of the car and said, you know the rules, man, you know the rules. And this kind of thing, this kind of angle makes them, is what makes them so dangerous and what makes them so difficult to capture and what makes them very compelling um, people to watch as well. Yeah. Uh, they are, In many ways, they are a lot more
1: organized. And professional done than the police. Than the police, the police yeah. yeah. I would say, in fact, they're hands down, they're, <laughs> they're better at their jobs.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Dave, do you have any, any kind of final thoughts you want to finish off on, on this episode? I ju- well, I
1: just loved it. Uh, absolutely <laughs> loved it. Like, I'm hook, line, and sinker. I'm, I'm, I'm there, man. Um, a couple of things I noticed uh, which were interesting. Obviously, 15 years has passed. Yeah. And um, the world of 2002 looks so, so it different does. now.
0: And it this was like, when I remember when the millennium happened, you were kind of thinking, well, this is this is the future now. <laughs> yeah, we're here. <laughs> We've landed.
1: Like, everyone has Nokia phones, uh, you know. The, everyone, <laughs> the phones. Even just people having cell phones back then ha- just kind of happened. Yes. Like they do mention, uh, you know, oh, everyone has cell phones. But you never see anyone... Uh, anytime anyone has downtime, they're just like reading a newspaper yeah, yeah. or uh, nobody, nobody's on their phones. Nobody has computers in the office. No. It's all typewriters. There's even a whole exchange between uh, Kima and Herc and Carver about, uh, you know, uh, that he wouldn't know what to do with a computer. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, it's all typewriters. So they type up like and McNulty's typing up his report. La- like Kima typing, it was properly labelled. You have to <laughs> press yeah. down like a <laughs> foot, <laughs> press down half a foot for each. Each keystroke. It, it looks horrible. That's just a whole different world. It is. Like, I mean, how would... I don't
1: even know how I would do my job in that environment. Um, and the other thing I did have to point out um, was D'Angelo's outfit in this episode because uh, he was wearing... He was rocking a, a turtleneck with a leather jacket. <laughs> uh, which is <laughs> a sort of very bold move <laughs> for a drug dealer. Uh, it kind of comes across more as a sort of a
0: uh, amateur theatre critic or something.
1: What about you? Any... Uh, any final thoughts
0: this pilot episode really sets the scene for everything it sets a template really well, and not much really conceivably happens here and it's really dis- it's really hard to decipher it's, it's, I think on first viewing it's really hard to break through what is going on and yeah. um, on second viewing things become more obvious, but I still think it's it's difficult to understand what 's going on who people are and it doesn 't make any the wire doesn 't make any apologies for that, and it just assumes that you'll get up to speed and you have to get up to speed. And have you ever read uh, Train Spotting?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, the, do you mean the language? Yeah. You sort of just become used to it. Exactly, as you read yeah. It. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great analogy in that when I first read Train Spotting, I think it took me like 50 pages to understand the word. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Then I had to go back and watch it again and read it again because it just it made no apologies for being written in that way. And I think this is the first time I've seen. A TV show done this way as well, whereby it doesn't make any apologies, it doesn't try to over-expositionize any any fragments of it. It just says, it just goes straight to the point, And this is Rawls, and he's got two fingers up at Minulty right from the start. And you're thinking, what's this relationship? You don't you don't know what's going on there.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. The audience kind of has to catch up. Yeah, it's like this is this is the real world. This is how policing happens. Just figure it out yeah. as you go, and the same and the same on the streets. This is how they talk. They're not going. We're not going to talk your language. This is their language. You figure it out, the audience. Um, th- there is one moment uh, which I, I discovered. Uh, there's a there's a flashback at the very end of this episode. Absolutely, when, yeah. When, uh, when um, uh, D'Angelo sees Gant, the witness has been murdered. Yeah. Uh, there's a little sort of black and white flashback back to the, the courtroom. Just and that's very much for the audience. And I read that. Uh, HBO insisted on putting that in against David Simon's Best Wishes because yeah. again he didn't want to spoon feed the audience, and that was very much them saying that's a tr- that's almost a traditional way of storytelling. I remember this guy? But uh, I'll be honest, I kind of found it useful because I didn't recognise. <laughs> no, I mean <laughs> yeah. I did, I did find yeah. it useful.
0: Um, but that's that's atypical of The Wire, yeah, and typical of other TV shows. And you don't, I should, we should kind of say that we, you don't get that kind of spoon feeding any other time during a series.
1: No, but you do. You're, you're absolutely right, and the train spotting um, analogy is good because you just get absorbed in it. Yeah. And three or four eps in, you're just like you start using the lingo. You know what a re-up is. Yeah. Uh, you like you just you just get it, and it all sort of clicks. And it by the end of this season, and as you go on, there are you know there are up to a hundred or more characters in this show, uh, and you know them all by yeah. name, yeah. and you know everything about them, and it just all fits in your head. You just
0: absorb it and i think that's what makes it beautiful (laughs) yeah exactly it's dense
1: Max from Sweden, host of the radio podcast Max FM. My Twitter account is RMFM podcast and my favorite is definitely Omar Little. Hes like this surreal survivalist bringing a touch of fantasy and philosophy to the otherwise harsh and sinister reality that is the hood. He's the ultimate badass and the lone wolf of the wire, and his quotes are awesome. Good luck with the show, guys. I'll be tuning in.
2: Most staff.
7: Hi, I'm Susie from Hampshire. My favourite character from the first season of The Wire is Keema Greggs. She's really switched on and uh, sees a lot politically. She knows how corrupt some of the top levels are and she's cynical. Yet she maintains integrity and she sees the good in people, like bubbles. I'm really looking forward to re-watching The Wire and listening along with Kobe and Dave in The Wire Stripped. Good luck, you guys.
0: Those were some voicemails that were left to us on our burner phone. Yeah, we have an untraceable burner phone that you can leave us a voicemail on or send an audio clip via WhatsApp, FaceTime or Messenger or whatever's best for you. What are the details, Dave? Right, well, you can leave us a voice message on plus
1: four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight from anywhere in the world, wherever you are. Or if you're in the UK, just ring us and leave a voicemail on 07534831658 that number again is 07534831658 i hope you all rushed out and got your pen and and wrote that down because we are old school here
0: (laughs) and when you do ring us or leave a message please let us know your name your location your twitter account if you have one and a short and sweet message This week we really want to know who your favourite character is in Season 1, and of course, why. A very big thank you to our producer and editor, Tom Wally, for all his
1: amazing work in putting this together.
0: We also want to thank Izzy Lawrence for the logo and graphics.
1: And our theme song is by Sam and Martin from the Song by Song podcast. And we'll be talking to Sam and Martin very shortly about the making of that
0: tune. So that's episode one wrapped up, done and dusted. Join us next time where we'll be watching season one, episode two, The Detail. They're getting the band together. (laughs) To chat with us or send us a message, head to our Facebook or Twitter pages at The Wire Stripped.
1: Or our email address is burner at thewirestripped.com.
0: Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a fantastic review. We're looking forward to reading them
1: bye
2: bye
4: <laughs>